Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my new buddy, Matt Ryan, on the line with us today. Matt, how you doing? I am doing fantastic to be here with you, sir. I am exhausted, but anytime I get to talk about, you know, the road to being a person, it's a road you're never, you're never not on and you never walk away from. It's like Broadway. You're always on Broadway. No matter where you are in Manhattan, you're always on Broadway. And that's kind of how I feel like life is. Oh, I'm going to steal that. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, I am a multimedia media professional for almost uh, 15 years. I started in 2007 in my freshman year of community college. Uh, started at WKRB 90.3 FM, Kingsborough Community College, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and then uh, I've bounced around radio for a few years as a producer. I've podcasted forever. I started podcasting like when Ricky Gervais was the only podcast in the world. <laughs> um, I worked for some of the bigger radio shows as an intern. Uh, for the last few years, I've worked as a social media manager. And more recently, I've been working as uh, the produce, the executive producer and co-founder of Catalyst Wrestling. I'm also the host of uh, Vox Media's Combat Culture live coverage for UFC pay-per-views. I have announced any and every kind of major sport, collegiate sport. I've done all types of talk speaky things, which is why I'm able to kind of be so verbose right now and just keep <laughs> talking and talking and talking because <laughs> it's the only thing I really know how to do. Well, it's good to be compensated for the thing that you clearly do so well. <laughs> um, that's cool. Uh, so you were introduced to me by my by our mutual friend, Scott Madrinsky, and I'm sure Scott's going to listen to this. So fuck you, Scott. Hope you're doing well. Um, <laughs> so talk to me about the wrestling thing because I know Scott is an avid wrestling fan. I was a huge huge wrestling fan um i would say probably up until like sophomore year of college and then it kind of got a little nutty um but tell me like about it like what do you do like how'd you get into it it's 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 an indie avenue obviously um yeah. and it's been a while since i've been plugged into the scene but i do follow it on social media just don't watch it as often as i used to so like how'd you come to get involved with that and like tell me a little bit about the uh uh, I, I've been a fan of pro wrestling. I'm 32 now, but I've been a fan of pro wrestling since I was one. This is kind of like the go-to podcast story for me is that my earliest memory outside of the Giants beating the Bills in the Super Bowl was watching WCW on my couch uh, with Saturday my grandmother. Mornings, right? Yeah, uh, it was Channel 9, uh, one of the syndicated shows, because uh, we didn't have cable in the early 90s in my house, uh, well, up until like 94, 95. But when I was a kid, I fell in love with pro wrestling. It was, you know, the thing in my life. And when you're a latchkey kid with not a lot of friends and uh, your mom likes to take you out to the bars when she goes drinking... <laughs> uh, you you end up falling in love with wrestling. I amassed a massive magazine collection because of one of my mom's drinking buddies. She had this stack and like it filled my entire closet. Like it filled the closet in my home of wrestling magazines. And it was all like from 83 to 88. Wow. And it was just the golden era of territorial wrestling. And it really informed me as a storyteller 
like wrestling has really informed me as a storyteller and a creator and there's elements of pro wrestling and pretty much everything I do because I view things through that lens. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got started in radio, um, I was at this weird place with wrestling where I was angry at it and I wasn't necessarily happy with wrestling anymore. Um, But I didn't know what kind of show to do. And I was not, I wasn't the person you see now or here now. Like I was, still figuring out what I was, who I was, every aspect of who I was. And I grew up on a steady diet of WFAN, Opie and Anthony, Ron and Fez, I miss Howard Stern, like all of the New York talk show tropes. Mm -hmm. Because I would fall asleep listening to WFAN. Like I would fall asleep listening to it. And I discovered Opie and Anthony in 2002. After they got taken off the air, I started listening to Ron and Fez. And then I started listening to Opie and Anthony, and that just changed everything for me. Like, it opened up new worlds of humor, new worlds of ideas. Like, it allowed me to – I was an angry kid. I'm still a very angry person. Like, anger is my base emotion. <laughs> so, for me, like, that 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 touched a chord with me. I'm not that person anymore. Like, I, I still – grapple with my anger i'm an irish catholic person from brooklyn so yeah angry it's ingrained is yeah. Setting. <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I i just decided to do a wrestling radio show and i started interviewing wrestlers interviewing promoters and i started you know hanging out with wrestling companies and i was afforded opportunities to announce and then one day i, I ended up becoming a manager because i had a suit <laughs> like they, they made me a manager because i brought a suit with me to this show and ever since then, I've been working in pro wrestling in some form or fashion for in small independent companies, large regional companies, national touring companies uh, since 2011. Um, and I've never really looked back since. I've had a weird professional life, uh, but all of it is due to just chasing what i love and finding ways to make the things i love the things that make me money but then you have that you have that relationship change over time because you love the thing and even though you love it it is the cornerstone of how you pay the bills and how you feed yourself feed your dog keep your bills paid um and you learn to hate it a little bit like you, you can never do something to where you're truly free from the fact that you're going to hate the things you love a little bit if it's what you do full time. Dude, that strikes a big time chord for me. Um, you know, I worked in corporate America for a very long time, b- bounced around a number of industries and uh, got laid off in the middle of the pandemic and uh, basically never looked back. I traveled the country for about 30 or so days with my camera in my car and uh, just basically fell in love with photography and it's basically what I've been doing full-time for the last two years Um, and that sentence that you just uttered really struck me because while I am lucky enough to do the thing I love in this world it is also at times a creatively draining profession because it's no longer the thing I'm doing because it like makes me happy it's now the thing that I've chosen to sustain me and pay for my groceries and uh 
Yeah, that that is probably one of the most relatable things I've heard someone say on my podcast for sure. <laughs> um, I'm super curious how you wrestle, pun intended, with the fact that you love something and you have sort of this generated love-hate relationship with it um, at times. Oh, fuck. Uh, pardon me for swearing. No, but... fucking curse away. No problem. <laughs> uh, well, goddamn, pal. Um <laughs> You, you go through, I, I, it's like a relationship. I'm terrible at relationships. I've not, I'm not a great boyfriend because I'm so obsessed with what I do. And also my mental health is, you ever ride down the BQE? Unfortunately. And you, yeah. <laughs> you know, Kings Highway, mm-hmm. like you see where the, where the start, where the, where the Toys R Us used to be. I'm not familiar where the Toys R Us used to be, but I've been down the BQE. Uh, but yeah, like there's a portion of like I I two seventy eight by where I grew up in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and it always smells like it's a garbage explosion. Yeah, okay. That is how I I I I, I use a lot of metaphorical language, but that's how I view my mental health. It's like a garbage fire. So that's kind of you you always process things through that lens, mm-hmm. and how you view your relationships. Like I've everybody in my life who I have met over past the age of 18 are in my life because of my creative and professional endeavors. That's interesting. Why would you, sorry to interrupt you. Why would you describe your mental health as a dumpster fire? Uh, because I'm, I have, you know, I suffer from depression. Uh, I am, um, I have undiagnosed ADHD. Uh, I'm the child of addicts. My father was a heroin addict. Um, my mother was an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. um, both died because of that. And that's something you carry with you. And, you know, when you have trauma, it's, well, it's not, thank you. Um, uh, but you know, I could go off on why there were bad people outside of that, but that's way too long. Do you go Um, to, uh, do you do therapy? Yeah. I see a therapist twice a month. Yeah, I'm a so I'm a new therapy person, and uh, as a person who didn't know that they dealt with anxiety and didn't know that they were depressed, therapy has been a tremendously impactful thing for me, and it's been really great to be able to unpack a lot of shit that I've been dealing with that I didn't know I was dealing with. Right Uh, to your point, uh, diagnosed ADHD, like things like that, like just learned a lot about myself that I. You know, twenty-five-year-old John didn't have any fucking clue. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm glad that you know while you view your mental health in a slightly, you know, lens-colored of dumpster fire, at least you're doing the right by it. Yeah, like yeah, it came to a point. Like I've been in in and out of therapy since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been one of those things where I know it's important, but your value system really changes where you are in your life and when you're working from home every day, like I've been working from home since the start of the pandemic and you're just sitting at your computer for anywhere from eight to 14 hours a day that wears on you. And when you're working in television, you're working in media, you're working with all those things, you're just staring all day and like you're living and dying through content, through your work, through other people's work and it just starts to it may it it exposes a raw nerve and those raw nerves can really 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 drag you down oh totally um but uh 
you wrestle with, to get back to your original question, uh, you go through, it's like a relationship. You go through cycles. Like you'll be mad at something, but then you'll have like these revelatory moments to why you love it mm -hmm. and why you got into it in the first place or why it's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. You, you'll hate it for us. You'll hate it for a while, but those few seconds that make you realize why you love it are worth it. Oh, like totally. they, they galvanize your whole existence. When you look at like your day to day, like obviously you do social media management as like your day to day job. And then you're also working on that sort of thing, side gig wise and passion hustle wise. Um, do you ever get like completely burnt out on worrying about things like Instagram and fucking TikTok and Twitter and oh, all I'm that shit? I'm, brother, I'm burnt out now. Yeah. Like, I've been running hard since the pandemic. Like I've not taken an actual vacation in maybe three years. And even before that, it was seven years. Jesus. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know why I am the way I am, but work to me is I, I you know, I seek validation when mm. you're, when you do anything that is forward facing and you are talent or you are creating something at any level. Like you see my paintings behind me, like they hang on my wall because I just like to paint. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like, I'm not putting these in a gallery. These are things that I love, you know, I do to de-stress and to, you know, calm, you know, give myself a little bit of center and there are things I enjoy for the sake of enjoying, but you search for validation. You search for a reason de être. Like you're looking for people to accept who you are. Mm -hmm. Like you're chasing acceptance in whatever form. And it can be commoditized into ratings, likes, retweets, shares. Like it's, like, a, I did it's that. a sick. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, that. It could be. A, and you look at yourself and like, it, it can be a sickness. Um, But I think it's more endemic not of social media, but of society and of who we are as people. Like we're looking for people to like us for who we are or like, or find any reason for someone to validate our existence on this earth. Oof. Like the, the entire, you know, that's what, that's why I think a lot of us do what we do is to be remembered, to be validated, to, you know, your time on this earth had an effect outside of the fact that you were born. That's heavy. I'm curious what your relationship with your own personal social media is versus like the properties that you have to like manage for a work purpose. It's mostly just dog photos and shit posting <laughs> like, and promoting my shows. And like, it's, if you look at my Twitter, it's promoting my gambling columns. Cause I write a gambling column a couple of times a week for football, hockey and mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. Um, it's promoting it's, pr it's a promotional tool. Gotcha. Um, if I'm watching, like I was watching the AFC divisional round on Sunday and I'm live tweeting how insane the games are. Like I use it, I use it for, that intended purpose like i'm not obsessed with it i spend a lot of time scrolling on social <gasps> social media but that's for me kind of just to kind of get an understanding of where the world is for what? or like where where my curated view of the world is but um because i have friends all over the political landscape and i argue with a lot of them not publicly like i don't i don't see the value in arguing on social media 
Yeah, it's just like, like I, shouting into the void for no apparent yeah. reason. I uh, I have a very, very strong love-hate relationship with social media because on one hand, it's the place where I have to show off my work, right? As a photographer, my work needs to live on an online space. Um, as a podcast host, it lives on an online space. So I'm constantly having to post and share and be like open about the things that are going on in my life. And then also the toll that it has on me when I post something and it's like, why the fuck am I worried about 17 people liking this photo or a hundred? Like it is the most irrelevant thing to what I'm doing. And I recently had a photographer on my podcast who said like the most important thing that has like really changed my landscape and my view of social media was like if Instagram gets turned off tomorrow are you still a photographer I'm like yeah of course he's like good so stop fucking worrying about how many likes you get on a picture how many followers you have it's the most irrelevant thing and I always come at that from it oh it's easy for a person with 20 or 30 thousand Instagram followers to have that sentiment right super easy they've got the following they've got the validation i'm in seeking of that and uh, i just find it to be like this really toxic place beyond the political landscape just in that it is that searching for validation from strangers on the internet that makes you just like a sick sick person and i've thankfully been able to kind of cut that out and i'm trying to like look at it more as like a diversification of my art and less of like oh my god i need this validation yeah, I I compl- I agree with that. I try not to um look at it as a an addiction or an obsession um because that you when you're a social media manager, you have to carry the 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 sword of the fact that you're working in marketing basically. Yeah. Like you're you're marketing a thing, you're selling a product uh and someone who grew up listening to Bill Hicks and George Carlin and has a Hunter S Thompson tattoo <laughs> you you have your you have your crosses to bear with that like you have to that's why i work for properties or on projects that have a meaning or a value to me like i'm not going to work for a chemical company or a real like a real estate or insurance like those are not like i'm it, that's not passion and uh, that's something i don't care about i can't do that it would drive me absolutely insane um but when it's when looking at social media and the term the ideas of validation like we we are a, we're a society built on instant gratification mm-hmm. we're a society and that's just i believe that's humans more than anything like we're we're always searching for more we're all and that's you know it's the great explorers we're always searching for more and that, that's a human thing mm-hmm. like you have the innate thing within you to explore to look to forage like we came from hunters hunter gatherers for god's sake if you graduated if you passed sixth grade social studies you have a base understanding of that fact (laughs) that's a part of our brain so it does it's sometimes more enlightened in people like so certain people are in touch with different parts of their brain and their personality than others are and that's just kind of like I might be more expressive. Like I'm an extrovert, even though I like being an introvert. Uh, Like it's just different people react to different things, but we all have those base things within us. It's just how magnified are they? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. When you look at like your day-to-day life and, uh, you know, I don't know much about your upbringing. Obviously it seems like it wasn't all, you know, rose 
petals and blossoms and whatever the fuck that expression is. Um, but when you look at like the trauma that you experienced growing up and kind of like the things that you unpack as you get into your adulthood, um, what do you think has been like the biggest challenge that you've encountered in and or like the biggest hurdle that you've overcome to, you know, get you here today? Uh, being kinder to myself. Mm. Um, I judge myself very harshly and sometimes that will turn into me be exploding and my anger coming out and me being visibly frustrated and it you know it turns into this snowball effect of our your emotions and dealing with all this stuff and as you get older you get better at handling it but you get burned out and you get tired and you get frustrated and you just start to internalize like you 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 can be your own worst enemy without even trying mm mm-hmm. mhm Totally. It's about being aware of that. And at the age of 32, I'm finally more and more aware of that and trying to, you know, apply the tools um, that I learn and that I'm, you know, working through in therapy to really, uh, you know, be a better person. I'm not the same person I was at 24. I'm not the same person I was at 18. Thank God. <laughs> um, but it's about trying to find a level of forgiveness for to yourself. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's like a lot of self grace in in forgiving yourself for things that are kind of like out of your control. Um, yeah, I also think there's like this beautiful thing that happens to a person when they turn thirty. Um, I think like the vast majority of my twenties were spent doing things for other people, like things that didn't have any true impact on my life or like really things that like I gave a shit about. I was just kind of like doing what everyone else online and everyone else in the world was doing, right? Like going to clubs, trying to get laid, like shit like that, that ultimately doesn't matter. And then you turn 30 and you realize, wow, what was I doing? Who was I trying to pretend (laughs) to be, right? And then I think you hit 35, I'm 36. And like life is just starting to get so much better every day like i think when you start getting that self-actualization and that self-realization of the things that you want to be and the kind of things that you want to do with the rest of your life it's like a super freeing kind of moment in in time which i'm super grateful for yeah no i you start i'm starting to learn that and like you start taking these different creative leaps and these different opportunities and you're like okay Okay, this is this you start to feel more comfortable with who you are as a person, as a producer, like you have to be a polyglot in 2022. Like You have to be a multi hyphenate to to resonate in in culture. You have in whatever you're doing, you have to have a broad skill set, because if you don't figure out how to adapt, you won't survive professionally, but also it allows you to in terms of an emote of emotions, like see things from other sides or learn new perspectives or learn new techniques. And it allows you to kind of be a better person or be a better person to yourself. Yeah. It's like the MacGyvering of your life. You you need to be able to turn something into anything. And that's one of the things that I think is cool about when you get older. Um, I, I struggle a lot with the fact that like so much of like my early life, like let's say high school to college, college to 25 was like me planning out like the next stage of my life. And then before you know it, you're like at the point where you're supposed to be married and have kids and the whole nine yards. And it was always like, where, well, I got to go to, you know, get good grades in high school to get to good college and good college. I got to get good grades. So I get the good first job and blah, blah, blah. And you're always like looking down the road. Right. But like 
all of a sudden the road kind of catches up to you and smacks you in the face and you're like, oh shit, I'm like in the middle of it and I'm nowhere near where I thought I was going to be. Um, talk to me about where you're at currently with your life and like kind of how you now look forward to like the next couple of years of what you got going on, you know, after having gone through something like the pandemic the last two years. I, I never really was, I always had like wild fantasies of like being the voice of Monday night football or things like that. But like, I never really had like a plan for my life. Uh, mainly because that just wasn't something we did in my family. Mm-hmm. Like I was the second or third person uh, from my family to graduate college. Um, and, you know, I started out wanting to be in radio. I got in at the worst time to be in radio, radio, the radio I wanted to do, the kind of broadcasting I wanted to do. And I just, I had too many other interests and passions to just pick up my life and move to Shreveport, Louisiana to grind and fight it out and do all the things you have to do for drive time at 40. Like I just, I didn't feel like that's the road my life would, that's not going to be my path to happiness. Yeah. Um, But I think this is the best version of myself there's ever been. Oh, I like that. Uh, I'm not, I look to be a better version next week, next year. Um, I think this year is about figuring out ways to be better, figuring out ways to distribute my workload a little more, um, to delegate more, um, to take better care of my mental and physical health. Like i I'm taking time off for the first time and, you know, non-holiday time off for the first time in over six months uh, soon. So taking those two days to kind of just like reconfigure myself as a person and just sleep. Um, It's just kind of focusing on ways to be better, Mm -hmm. Um, be a better producer, be a better creator, you know, be a better dog, a pet owner, dog dad, Mm -hmm. uh, be a better roommate, like, I want to be better at all those things and I want to be less depressed at three o'clock in the afternoon or less frustrated at, you know, in the middle of the day because of things at my job. Yeah. Like I want, I want to not care about things that I can't control because control was something I've not really had in my life. So anytime there was an opportunity for me to control something, I ran towards it. And I feel like that's, it's a good but limiting thing. Mm-hmm. If you battle for control all the time, you don't really get to see different opportunities or you don't see the whole board. And as a producer, my job is to see things on a, you know, not just at a granular level, but see things stacked higher and higher and higher. Uh, I hate corporate speak, but it's become second nature because you work <laughs> You work yeah. in corporate America for long enough. It just kind of becomes a part of your language. Uh, the show Happy-ish, uh, something me and my best friend Stephanie Sotilli uh, watched uh, dozens of times at this point, really exemplifies what it's like to have those parts of you. Mm-hmm. The, the hyperactive creator, the person screaming for recognition, screaming to be heard, demanding that you take us seriously 
and then all the concessions you have to make because you have a wife, you have a kid, you have responsibilities, you live in a society that is a capitalistic society. There is no, there is no safety net for that. Mm -hmm. You have to work within the world and you have to make these bargains, these Faustian bargains to survive. And then it's the, it's the 60, it's how much of your life is this? How much of your life is that? What, how much are you willing to give up mm-hmm. or how much are you willing to keep totally. so you can make sure all the other things are taken care of? And I think that's something everybody uh, in, in this is, uh, is dealing with. I think everybody in society, whether you're a photographer, social media manager, TV producer, or you just work in any creative endeavor where there is a, there's a person above you. You're not the one answering to yourself. You're, yeah. you're, you're not the owner operator. You're always beholden to something or someone, or you're beholden to getting X amount of return for your investors and your investment in it. And you, you rents due on the first. So mm-hmm. you got to make, Pay your make bills. note of that. <laughs> Matt, I will say that I think the fact that you have the self-realization for what you want to see out of yourself in the future you're already done with like 70% of the work. Like I, I would, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm not joking because like, I, I, you know, I, I'm a, a new convert into like the manifesting the things that you want in your life. Like, and I'm a firm believer that when you start telling yourself the things that you deserve and the things that you're capable of receiving, like it happens. Like I, I used to think it was bullshit, but I did have like a subconscious unconscious mind, th- a therapist, person on my podcast and I was talking about how for the better part of the last two years I've been driving myself like a maniac to like make these things happen in my life and then it's crazy how it you know it's not something that transpires overnight but I'm now reaping all of those kind of work that I did over the last two years is now coming to fruition and I think that is three quarters of the work that you need to do and the rest is just you know finishing what you need to start, right? So like the fact that you already know what you want to do and what you want to be gives you a tremendous leg up on someone who's just like, well, you know, I don't really know where I'm going to be down the road. I'm just trying to wing it. And so I think you're you're setting yourself up in a, a really good position for success. I mean, without question. Um, Thank you, man. I appreciate that. No problem. I talk about uh, confidence a lot on my podcast and about how like my ability as a creative person to put my artwork out there, whether it was writing uh, online for places like Elite Daily or Thought Catalog in my early 20s, um, or now as I put my art out from a photography perspective, I often struggled with like the imposter syndrome of it all, the belief that I could be a person that can be doing this stuff. Um, and I'm curious how in a field like yours, which is obviously very egocentric, very, uh, you know, individualistic, how you deal with confidence and both your workplace and, and obviously on like the things that you do on the side for fun. Um, I hate myself. <laughs> like, I literally do not like myself, but I have a rational confidence in what I do. Yeah. So... I don't like me as a person, but me as a commodity, me as a product, me as a, a, a noun, a thing, I am rationally confident about. Like I can sell any, you know, I can sell any part of myself as a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as an announcer, I feel like I'm one of the best. As a promoter and a pro wrestling creator, I will defend what we do at Catalyst Wrestling to the death, and I will promote it to the ends of the earth. Um, but me, Matt Ryan, the person looking at the Velvet Underground poster on his wall right now, I dislike myself. Why? Um, oof. Uh, I mean, put, take I've, aside, like, put put aside, like, obviously, obvious uh, childhood trauma, right? Like, shit that you've dealt with with your parents and things like that. But, like, as a person who seems to be very well adjusted at 32 years old for the shit that you've been through, I'm curious why you hate yourself. Because I'm... Because you you have this sense of like, you, you deal with the keeping up with the Joneses of it all. Totally. Like, I'm not married, not in a relationship. I you know working, I'm working for somebody and not for myself. So that's you know those are the layers of frustration. Um, you you know, and you're and it's the external feedback of just living a life where you have you know. I'm an angry person. I don't like that I'm angry. I don't like my temper. I don't like that I'm, you know, depressed. And my depression is predicated on, you know, being made fun of as a kid or just like my sense of self-worth has always been built on the validation of others. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when you can't, like yourself when you're looking in the mirror so it's interesting that like you know mental health stuff aside right depression is like something that you have to put to aside for a second because when you tell me you have like the belief in just in the ability to sell yourself as matt ryan the commodity but not matt ryan as a person that strikes me right because you, I say the same thing you say all the time. I have a rational confidence in my ability as a creator, as a photographer, as a podcast host, as the things that I'm doing in my life. I'm irrationally confident that I'm going to be successful. What that success looks like, I'm not sure, but I have the utmost believe, belief that it's going to happen. But I also value myself tremendously as a person. So I'm I'm just struggling with the fact that you can have like that level of irrational confidence as I do. I can tell that you have it and hate yourself. It's, and, and I have a great support system. It's just you deal with all of those negative voices mm-hmm. for a long time. They kind of just become your safety net. Like that's a comfortable place. Yeah. Like I can live and operate in that. Sure. When I like myself, it's I like the devil, you know, right? Yeah. It's like you're, you know, you, I grew up in a tenement building in Brooklyn. If I started living, like I live in a much nicer place than I did when I was a kid, but when you're, you know, moving, like if I made a drastic move to a mansion or to like a ranch house in the suburbs, I wouldn't know how to operate. Sure. I, think I wouldn't know how to like live my life. I think you're giving, you're selling yourself a bit short. Um, I think, I think also the, the funny thing is like the keeping up with the Joneses thing is always going to be there. Like it's something that I struggle with a lot. Um, there's also something that's going to happen for you in the next couple of years where that voice in your head that keeps telling you you're, you're not good enough is going to slowly get quieter and quieter. And at least it has for me. I think that's what happens when you move on into, I don't know, you want to call it middle age, mid thirties, whatever. I'm not sure what you want to call the, <laughs> the bracket, but there was definitely something in me you know, over the course of the last two, two and a half years, 
that I've been able to put all that shit out of my mind. Like, I don't give a fuck now whether I make a hundred thousand plus dollars a year. Like that used to be the only thing I worried about, right? How much money I was making, how much money was relative to the people around me and like what good, cool, nice shit I could buy with that money. And then somewhere in the last couple of years, I realized, wow, I don't need any more shit. I don't need any more stuff. What I need to do is earn a living that makes me comfortable and allows me to create the things that I want to create. And I think that for you, it seems clear that over the course of the next couple of years, you're probably going to start losing a lot of that. I mean, at least it's what happened to me, and I hope it happens for you because you seem like a pretty pragmatic guy and a guy who has a rational confidence in himself to be a creator and, you know, do the things that you are doing. And, you know, it's just a matter of time before you look at the person in the mirror and be like, this guy's fucking awesome. I mean, I've known you for 30 minutes. I already think that, so. <laughs> you're too, first of all, you're too kind. Um, but... My uh, a good friend of mine, Marvin Williams, who started out as a college professor, turned into a radio show co-host and uh, turned into like a surrogate dad uh, for the past 10 years or so, told me very early on when we were working together, you get a million no's before one yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, instinctually, you know that. But you take you live in if you're a sports fan, like I'm a Mets fan. Oof. So, oh yeah, I'm a Mets <laughs> well, it's Rangers good now, though, right? <laughs> Yeah, until they win a World Series in my lifetime, I am never gonna, you know, like every sports team I root for, except the Knicks and the Mets, have won a championship in my lifetime. Fair. And I don't expect the Knicks to do that anytime soon. So. Well, not with Dolan um, at the helm, so we're fucked no. there. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, you if you're a sports fan, um you know you live and die with every game like watching the giants pat i had to watch the first giants pat super bowl in my room by myself oh. because i was not because i was just not not emotionally prepared for what that game is now i can watch around people because you know sports sports means a lot to me but it does i i'm not a fan as much as i used to be mm -hmm. like i'm not i i ride or die with my teams but i'm a die easy fan like i'll be mad for a day and a half but i'll be you know be able to operate like a person yeah <laughs> um but you you that's how i view my life like you li you live and die with everything that happens and you put yourself in a like you you create these unfair comparisons for yourself yeah well, I don't think it's and very that, easy to live your life in absolutes like that. Yeah. You know, that's that's it's, not the, that's not easy, yeah. No. And you you look at if you look at life that way, like I, when I was at NYU, I wrote a I based my entire senior thesis about pro sports being an adjunct for religion. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but sports in general, to be honest with you, collegiate sports, high school sports, pro sports, it's an adjunct to religion because it's something bigger than yourself that you align yourself with, that you have this uh, spiritual connection. There's so many traditions. It's passed down from generation to generation. It's there's a, it's sacrosanct in a lot of places in the world. I really so, like that. Did you get a good grade on this paper? I think I, I, well, I passed. Well, yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I got a halfway decent grade on it. Um, I really like 40 that. pages. And that's kind of how I view, you know, that's kind of been my thesis statement for the past five or six years or so when I graduated from NYU um, was, was that, 
like you know i look at sports from a sociological construct because it gives you perspective mm-hmm. on why these things matter and why they matter to people and you look at the different traditions and the different nuances of each fan base and you build out a perspective that's pretty cool i like that and as a obviously intelligent human being who went to nyu i would love to hear how you hate yourself and and i would love to know how a person who has clear and uh you know shown intellect doesn't think that they're you know great you know, I can I can give a great interview. I can't, you know, be a good. I can't. I'm not this way all the time. Mm-hmm. When I'm on, I can be on. But then there are moments where I forget to throw out the garbage, or like there's like these human moments. Like the human moments sure. are kind of where I feel like I suck mm-hmm. because I felt like I never got the chance to learn it. I learned how to figure out sociology or figure out the like different elements of theology and applying them to sports constructs. I learned, I read about the history of the NFL and the different machinations of that and how sports and society intersect. I didn't learn how to be, you know, a good boyfriend or how to take care of myself or to be, you know, be there all the time for people or have, better fight or flight instincts or being able to contextualize things when you're frustrated and angry. Like you're like, it's all those little human elements that you, when you fail others, you, you, you indict you. It's an indictment on yourself. I think a lot of that is learned, right? It's not that you haven't learned it. It's a learned experience, right? So like you're, you're cutting yourself not enough slack for the fact that, you know, you haven't done it yet. You're not 95 years old. There's still <laughs> plenty of life to learn from. Yeah, I know. But like you, you, you look at the effect it has on other people and it's pretty and you like you, you that carries in you really badly. Yeah. Like that just kind of weighs on you, on your shoulders, in your chest. Like it's just those are the things that weigh on you. And when you look in the mirror, you're just, ugh. yeah, you know, it's you hate it's a super hard thing for me to be related, you know, to, for me to relate with because I don't feel that way. I've never felt that way. I, uh, I, I kid a lot. It's not funny. Obviously it's not a joke, but I have like the opposite of body dysmorphia, right? Like in the middle of the pandemic, when I got to my absolute heaviest part of like my life, right? The fattest I've ever been. I looked in the mirror and I was like, wow, you still look good, John. Like, it's just like, I have that like opposite. <laughs> I had- I had that exact same moment the other day when I was about to take a shower. I was like, huh, I don't hate this. Yeah. So how I, do you not like, replicate that over and over and over again? Because you, you fall into these patterns of behavior. Like you fall into, the, it goes back into that comfort zone. Out of curiosity, um, when you like look back at like, let's say 10 years of your working life or you're just like the last 10 years of your life, like how do you measure success, right? Is it only through the lens of work wins? Is it only through the lens of like side hustle wins? Like how do you measure like the successes that you've had over the last 10 years of your life? It's, it's also like validating like who you like. It's also like opportunities you've created for other people. Mm-hmm. Like with Catalyst Wrestling, we've provided a, a launching pad for creators, 
not only wrestlers, but announcers, producers, videographers, like people at every level of the industry. Um, with my show on SB Nation, it's being able to create a community and like people who come back and watch the show and know what we're doing every time and like they're our friends. Um, it's it's those things. Like I have an Associated Press Award on my wall. That's fucking from, awesome. Yeah, and no, it's and there's a fun story behind the night I found that out. Um, Tell it. <laughs> it was 2012. I was working at Bloomberg Radio. I was a uh, overnight. I was a nighttime board op. Uh-huh. So basically, if there wasn't a college, if there wasn't a sports game on the station, my job was to sit in the station and make sure we stayed on the air. Uh-huh. God forbid something happens, I'm there to push buttons and do all the things. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. I had I was working. I went to Hofstra for a year in 2011. Mm-hmm. I had a bit of a mental health break. And I this I had this like, do I work in radio or do I go back and stay in school? And I decided to just work in radio. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in the booth um, on Lexington Avenue in Bloomberg World Headquarters. I get a phone call from one of the people I worked with at the station. And they told me I had won the best newscast in New York State. Like, I had only done their newscast as an anchor once. Before that, I was doing entertainment reports where every sh- every time it had a pinata or canon reference in it. <laughs> because I was 22 and just a goof head. Yeah. Um, and I laughed for about a good five minutes. You're like, you're lying. And what? I I, it you're... felt like a rib. Yeah. It felt like a rib. Um, but it was true and it happened. And that was also the same night my CrossFit gym at the time had their prom. And I uh, would had to go from there to the CrossFit prom and ended up that night just getting drunk for the first time because I had celebrated that. Like there's a lot of other aspects of the story that I I'll t- I could tell you off air. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> totally. That are just that are just weird. Like you I ended up at an after hours club and it was just like it felt like this moment where everything in your life in that one moment there's like this one moment of clarity uh-huh. and it's just like this piñata of emotion and you just de you decompress from all of that. Huh. Like there are those moments in your life where one thing leads into another automatically and you just kind of realize, okay, this is where I am in the world right now. And that's not that bad. Yeah. I agree with that. But like, it sounds to me like a lot of the ways that you measure like the, the successes of the last 10 years of your life are other people's wins versus your own. And while that's an immensely selfless like view of the world, right? Like what about Matt, Matt, you know, I also view it like, you know, getting Catalyst Wrestling on TV, being the mo, getting over three quarters of a million views on Twitch over a couple of week period, um, being the number two rated pro wrestling company in England for a couple of weeks in 2018. Like we were the recently, we were the first company, we were the first promotion since the WWWF before it was even the WWWF to bring in the NWA World Heavyweight Champion to Brooklyn. The last time that happened was 1961. Wow. And, yeah, and we made that happen. And that's, like, a big – 
that's a big deal to me because I'm a huge wrestling fan. I'm a wrestling nerd history wise. Like th- that's my that's my jam. That's things like that are what. All right. So, but like, so like when I look at that and like when I hear that, that that's like to me, those like that ability for you to look back and look at the things that like you've done well, like at least relieves a little bit of me in the fact that you don't completely hate yourself, right? You you have no, the like, ability I, to sense when you've done something tremendously awesome. Yeah. No. Like I I take the wins, but the win the wins feel more fleeting than the losses because the losses stick with you. But that's life. Yeah, no, no, and yeah, but you just, you feel, I feel the losses a lot harder because it feels like I could have done something to change it, or I, if I had more time, like, you're always going back to, if I did, you're back, you're Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking yourself. Mm-hmm, totally. I, 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 and, I think that way still, like, for sure. You know, you look back at like, oh, I could have changed the lighting on this. I could have shot this better. I could have done this, that, and another. And it's like, I think that's just like the perfectionist in ourselves who like wants to do things the right way, the best way. And a fail will always linger longer because when I use a gambling metaphor because I used to gamble a lot in the casinos. I used to play a lot of blackjack. And the worst thing that ever happened to me was the biggest win of my life because every other subsequent win Never, ever, 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 ever compared to that win. And in order to feel that win, I had to lose a lot, right? The losses made you feel closer to the win than that win ever did. And it's just one of those sick mental things where your your ability to like quantify success is no longer what it used to be because you've now kicked the field goal longer than you previously had. And now that 35-yard field goal doesn't feel as good as the fact that you just kicked a 62-yarder. And that's just like one of those things about life that you learn a very hard lesson. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your biggest dream? Like what would be like the biggest, greatest thing to happen to you in 2022? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. <laughs> it would be in a lot of ways for me. Um, getting Catalyst Wrestling on a major distro platform. That's that's the goal. Um, being able to run that full time, like that's 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 the dream. Being able to do that, like if I could just do that and call football, mm-hmm. I'd be a very happy man. Like if I could produce Catalyst full time and call some sporting events, that would be the dream for me because I love 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 commentating you want to be color or uh like play by play uh well i i've done color uh i'm a better play by play guy Mm -hmm. mainly because like i'm not a player i'm not an athlete sure surprising obviously you know (laughs) junior varsity baseball player though with a 570 obp wow that's not bad zero zero batting average but three stolen bases not bad how many hit by pitches Oof! I the first time I ever went up, uh, I played it. I played for the my high school team. We played against Grady High School. The pitcher looked like CC Sabathia, oh, like geez. like CC did in when he was pitching then in like 2006. Yeah, six six. <laughs> yeah, kid threw rocks, and I'm like, I'm not swinging. <laughs> I'm not swinging at all. And just got on base, and then I got the steal sign. And I look at my coach like he's ribbing me, and I'm able to just make that slide in. 
and I made it. It was insane. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I uh I'm I'm thankful that like I had a lot of really good high school sports experiences. You know, I won a couple state football championships. Um lost a couple, but like, you know, had some overwhelmingly awesome successes as as a young kid and uh had some opportunities to play college football and I think the best thing I ever decided was not to and uh mm-hmm. to enjoy the college experience and like just be a normal human being and thankfully i would probably be a cripple today if i did because i still wake up in the morning and my entire body cracks <laughs> rolling out of bed and i saved myself four more years of abuse um but yeah that's funny <laughs> um matt i like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing like a little bit of a rapid fire uh q a some are like easy some are a uh, little in depth but kind of first thing that comes to mind first couple things that come to mind um work out best um what's your favorite okay. book um, the League by David Harris. Oh, I've actually read that. Nice. What's uh, what's your favorite movie? Um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, obviously Hunter S. Thompson tattoo. I could have guessed that. <laughs> and actually, I'll revise my answer. My favorite other book is Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72. Nice. Um, what's your favorite food? Um, a filet mignon medium rare. Ooh, very good answer. Um, do you believe in an afterlife? I'd like to think there's one. Yeah, me too. I'm with you on that. Um, are you happy? No. Why? Um, because I still have a lot to do and I have a lot, you know, I have a lot to work on. Happiness is not a static thing. It's (laughs) not a, it's not a constant thing. I'm, I'll be happy 20 minutes. I might be happy 20 minutes from now. Okay. But I'm not, I'm not happy now. I'm happy. I'm happy doing this. Like this is, this isn't, this is fun. Okay. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. What inspires you? Um, that's, (sighs) creative people and, the opportunity to do something others haven't done. I like that. Um, what's your biggest regret? Um, not being kinder to people. That's a pretty good level of cognition for, for that. Um, what are you most proud of? Um, that I have people in my life that care about me and love me. That's a good one. What's your biggest fear? Death. Yeah, me too. That's funny. I mean, it's not funny, but yeah. Um, what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? A million no's equals one yes. I can, I can, I can work with that. Um, last one. What's one recommendation that you have for something that you've recently consumed? Could be a book you read, a TV show you watched, a movie you've seen, a podcast you listen to. Just, uh, it's just something that you've consumed lately that you want everybody to check out. Um, listen to the Mountain Goats. Um, they're one of my favorite bands. Their music get me through anything, and. It's just, it can make you feel happy. It can make you feel sad. It can make you feel all the emotions. Okay. I'll check them out. I'm not familiar, but I'll uh, 
definitely pick up on your recommendation. Um, Matt, dude, uh, really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast and chatting with me today. Um, I'm super appreciative whenever someone takes an hour out of their day to, uh, to come on and talk about life with me. Um, I've got a very cheesy line that if you're on my podcast, you're part of my family. So welcome to the family. I'm glad to have met you and and be friends with you. And, um, yeah, just thank you so much for the time. And uh, I really, really enjoyed our chat. Same here, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to speak with me. No problem. Take care.